With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to How Bitches Are Made, the podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Thank you for joining us, everyone. If you haven't already listened to our introductory mini-sode, I recommend doing that right now before we get started, because we're about to with this week's story. Hold on to your panties, or don't. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect both the innocent and the anything but. Chapter 1, The Epiphany. Billy Oseko was the best sex I ever had. Which, naturally, meant he was also the most insane person I ever dated. But there was no way of knowing this when he first asked me out at an audition one day. After some witty and self-deprecating banter on my part, he told me to put my number in his phone, and I complied. I left a few minutes later, eager for his call, which, to my delight, came only an hour later. Following our first date that very weekend, Billy came back to my place, where I straddled him over one of my dining room chairs. Mm. We aggressively made out and started to unclothe each other. His body was tight, toned, and it teetered on that ever-so-sexy edge of boy turning into man. It was like disrobing Spider-Man. He could either save or destroy me. And if I'm being honest, I kind of wanted him to do both. Though I was already positioning myself to take position underneath him, I didn't want Billy to get the wrong impression and think I was a slut, especially when what I really am is a slutty serial monogamist. While I was cautious of scaring him off, I was perhaps even more cautious about getting hurt, or worse, feeling used. So I knew the only way I'd be able to have his cock and eat it too was to have an adult conversation about it first. Establish some boundaries before either of us plummeted down the rabbit hole. So, with my literal pants, MIA, somewhere near the kitchen, I pulled up my metaphorical big girl ones and said, Look, I'm really only interested in sleeping with people I see myself having a relationship with, so if you don't want me to start treating you like you're my boyfriend, then we should probably just stop while we're ahead. I felt as strong as the boner pressing up against my vagina through his jeans saying it. He looked at me for a minute, considered my proposal, then said, Okay. Satisfied, and albeit a little surprised, I proceeded to let him penetrate me. And everything that transpired over the next few months was excused, if not entirely ignored, because of it. You see, what I discovered shortly after that brief conversation in my dining room was that Billy has what you'd call a unicorn penis. Like a mythological beast you don't necessarily believe exists until you come face to face with one yourself. 
It has just as much girth as it does length, with the added bonus of casually, but very decidedly, venturing north. And just like any other magical wand, it completely transforms every vagina it touches. Mine was no exception. Although, if I'm being honest, its effect on me personally was less of a magical wand and more like Jafar's snake cane in Aladdin. From the moment I looked into its eye, I was completely hypnotized, lost in a trance that caused all my standards and boundaries to fly right out the window. I'd gone penis blind, and therefore putting up with copious amounts of shit I never should have. Take, for instance, when I confronted Billy about seeing other people. Despite the fact he told me I could treat him like my boyfriend, he never agreed to treat me like his girlfriend. He brought this little loophole to my attention one afternoon, and I somehow not only accepted it, but respected it, never mind how it directly disrespected me. Then, of course, there was the whole gay-for-pay situation involving a couple casting directors, a certain producer, and most notably, a particular Oscar-winning actor. Oscar, as I'll call him, wasn't in or out of the closet at the time. He was more standing inside it with the bifolds open. <laughs> bifolds. I guess he felt waiting for his past to catch up to him before publicly announcing the worst-kept secret in Hollywood— would serve him best and be most tasteful. Anyhow, Oscar would buy Billy expensive furniture, have it delivered to his apartment, and leave flirtatious messages on his voicemail. Billy, who loved to boast about it, played one for me one day. Billy, guess who? I was just talking about you to a friend of mine who's having a party in the hills this weekend. I don't know what you're doing Saturday, or more accurately, who you're doing. But we both think you should pull out and come with me instead. I promise it'll be fun. Call me. After hearing Oscar's unmistakable voice coming through on his machine, I asked Billy, what did you have to do to get all those gifts from Oscar in the first place? His answer was simply a knowing, squirrely grin. Aside from sleeping his way to the middle and his honest cheating, what really made Billy so memorable was the way our relationship ultimately ended. It all happened rather quickly. Sensing he was still involved with his ex somehow, I encouraged Billy to explore that relationship and relieve us of ours. I'll be honest, I was trying to manipulate him using reverse psychology to give me what I wanted, since I didn't feel I could actually ask for it. And I have to say, it worked like a charm. He cut ties with her and decided to genuinely try and commit to a relationship with me. Then, just four days into our newfound bliss, he booked a job in Canada. I was crushed, and my disappointment was only met with his frustration for not being more excited about his success. Ugh, actors. In an attempt to apologize for my being hurt, I offered to help Billy pack up his things. And because the lease on his apartment in L.A. was up just two weeks after he was supposed to be in Canada already, I took things a step further by offering to move the rest of his stuff out on my own in his absence. I suppose my rationale at the time was that doing so would not only remind him how great I was, but it would serve as some sort of insurance policy should any other girl, or boy, I guess, throw themselves at him. If Billy was indebted to me, maybe he'd feel just guilty enough to keep a clear conscience. Because that's exactly what cheaters are known for, right? For a while, though, it actually seemed to work. 
My place in Los Angeles was serving as Billy's home base. His possessions were cohabitating with mine. We were Skyping every night for at least an hour. And his parents had even come into the picture, personally thanking me for making their son's life so much better. Despite the fact he was living in another country, it was finally starting to feel like a monogamous relationship, and a serious one at that. Months of patience, understanding, and compassion were finally paying off. I couldn't have been more thrilled. But by the time Billy returned in the early fall for a visit, things started to get a little weird. You know that blackout we had the other night? Yeah. I did it. What do you mean you did it? What do you mean? When I was staying at Brandon's, I, I caused it. Did you guys crash into a light pole or something? No. Rachel, I'm, I'm the center of my own universe, right? Which means whatever I think creates or destroys energy in the world around me. So, at the same time I had this incredible epiphany, the whole city went black. Because I was channeling all that electricity and rerouting it to run through me. I did it. I shut it down with my own mind. So, you think you can control electricity? No, Rachel, I don't think. I know. How else do you explain it? Drugs. That's how. Of course, back then, so much as the idea never would have occurred to me. And not just because I was a drug virgin, but because Billy was incredibly open-minded. He was constantly trying on different outfits and going through different phases, like his Krav Maga phase, or his Banksy-inspired graffiti street artist phase. So the fact his skin was slightly pale and starting to look like something that had been vacuum-sealed without enough density inside the bag never gave me cause for concern. I simply assumed his new look and way of thinking were a result of some sort of new-age philosophical phase he was going through. After all, he had just taken up yoga, and he genuinely seemed happy. He had enormous amounts of energy and often took delight in the simplest of things around him with a bright and sunny disposition— like the time he marveled upon his discovery of purple cauliflower. As time went on, though, I started to suspect something was up. Oh, my God! What? Oh, my God. Jesus. Oh, my God. It's just a bee. What? It's just, it's just a, a bee. bee? What? It's a fucking bee. Don't freak out. I'm okay. afraid of him. Where did he go? I don't Where know. Where did he go? Did you kill him? I think so. Fucking kidding me, Rachel? We need them to survive. They're part of a fucking ecosystem. God damn, you're so ungrateful. Then there was the time we saw a three-legged dog on the sidewalk. <laughs> Look at that little guy. Aw, poor thing. Does not need your pity, Rachel, all right? Why are you so negative all the time? That dog is running with his owner. He has a happy fucking life. And the time my Ray-Bans were stolen after a yoga class we went to together. Hey, do you see my sunglasses by you? I had them here. You probably didn't bring them. No, I was definitely wearing them when we walked in. I think someone may have taken them. Of course you do. Because it's, it's, it's easier to blame someone else than, than admit to yourself that you lost them. Yogis don't steal, Rachel. We're Zen. At this point, I was starting to think Billy's attitude rests on a hairline trigger because he was once again hiding something. So, while he was in the shower one day... I took to his phone to provide the answers I knew I would never get from him directly. It wasn't hard to guess his passcode. Just his favorite number four times. In they poured. Texts from a girl he was clearly dating back in Canada. Oh, and that new yoga instructor, Brian. The truth was, 
I was relieved when I saw them, like finally getting a diagnosis for an unknown illness you know isn't just in your head. Still, it hurt. I had done my best to make things work, to accept his flaws without throwing them back in his face, to guide him on the right path without outwardly trying to change him. By all accounts... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I had done everything right in this relationship. I had no regrets, nothing to be ashamed of. I could feel good about it. So why didn't I? I quickly erased any sign that I'd been tempering with evidence. But a few minutes later, a towel wrapped around his waist... Billy confronted me. I confessed to my sin and confronted him with his. He neither confirmed nor denied my allegations, despite them being supported by evidence, but instead broke up with me before I had the chance to end things with him first. He said he couldn't date someone who didn't trust him. I couldn't date any part of him. Well, maybe one part. Which is why I was more than willing to give it a proper send-off when he proposed the idea. So, after our genitals had said their goodbyes, we found ourselves back in the shower where tears began to fall. I was heartbroken, disappointed, angry, and not just with him or the situation, but with myself. All I kept thinking was, what's wrong with me? And just as the idea, I might be broken, was about to break me down, Billy beat me to the punch again. Here's something I've learned about life. Whenever two people are in a room together, grieving or mourning, only one can cry. It's not a spoken rule, more like a law governed by the universe. Fundamentally, it's just impossible for two people to cry at the same time because someone always takes on the role of nurturer. The minute Billy broke down, I no longer could. Along with everything else, he had taken that from me too. Never mind the fact he'd broken up with me or that I was the one who'd been cheated on and betrayed. Somehow, despite it all, he'd managed to make it so I was now the one consoling him. I'm so fucking... Just like my father. (laughs) Too stunned to wrap my head around what was happening, I simply wrapped my arms around his naked, heaving body instead. And as if I wasn't already stunned enough... The strangest thing happened. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy when skies are gray. You'll never know, dear, how much I love you. So please. Yeah, he was fucking singing. 
I looked into the shower head as if it were a camera with an audience behind it peering in on my ridiculous life. Was anyone else witnessing this? What the fuck? In the entire five months we dated, Billy had never advertised me as his girlfriend once. But just two days after his private, sold-out bathroom concert, Billy flooded his Instagram with pictures of a blonde rock star model he was clearly dating. Like most parts of her body, her name wasn't real, just a bunch of consonants thrown together, separated by one vowel that looked like she left her finger on that key of her keyboard too long. I don't say any of this to spread girl hate, just citing facts that ultimately brought me to an epiphany of my own. When I saw an image of them kissing at a bass nectar concert, a band I had introduced him to, I was surprised my heart didn't so much as flinch. The expected feeling of a pin pricking against its tender lining never came. The bag of air in my stomach was absent. Instead, the gut-punched heartbreak I begrudgingly anticipated was replaced with laughter. Pure, genuine laughter. Because it was in that very moment I suddenly realized the exact kind of woman I wanted to be. All I had to do now was figure out how to become her. Welcome to the very first episode of How Bitches Are Made. I am so excited to be here, and I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you guys so much for listening. How Bitches Are Made is a concept that's been 10 years in the making. It has been such a fucking labor of love, and I'm so excited that the time has finally come for me to unveil it and share it with all of you. A lot of fucked up shit has happened to me, and I know I'm not the only one going through it, and that's sort of why I created this podcast. I thought it would be really fun to share my experiences with you guys, not just for a laugh, but for the sense of community. I feel like a lot of times we are all going through the same things at different times, and it's just so great to know that someone else has already been there or is there with us to kind of commiserate and help us grow and evolve and live our best lives as our best selves. So here's how this podcast is going to work. Every week, I'm going to share with you guys a story from my personal life, similar to the one that you just heard about Billy. They're not always going to include magical unicorn penises, but they will always be funny and comedic in some regard. And after the story, we're going to talk about the poignant lesson I learned from it on my journey to becoming a bitch, and we're going to discuss that lesson in depth after the stories. So let's jump right in. The story you just heard was called The Epiphany, and it was the origin story, not just for how bitches are made, but for the journey of me becoming the woman I ultimately wanted to be, which is a bitch. So let's talk a little bit about how that came to be. After Billy and I broke up, I went through this period of feeling super resentful <laughs> because uh, I felt I had done everything right in the relationship and things still fall apart. I, you know, I kept my mouth shut. I prioritized his needs. I wasn't clingy. I wasn't demanding. I was very doting and respectful and caring and considerate and compassionate and understanding. And I couldn't figure out why the fuck I wasn't getting what I wanted from the relationship or why things fell apart. Now, if you're listening to all those things I just said, hopefully you're thinking, what do you mean you did everything right? Because literally everything I just said is completely wrong. But that's not what we grow up believing, is it? 
As little girls, we're taught that in order to be successful in life, we need to be likable and put other people's needs above our own. If we do everything right and follow the rules and we're nice girls, we will prevail. But then we learn as adults that that's not the case because we're living these lives that are anything but what we want. We're unhappy. Our needs are not getting fulfilled. They're not being met because we're not expressing them because we're afraid to. We're afraid of what will happen if we do. If we're selfish in any way, then we run the risk of being thought of or called a bitch. So instead, we settle for this role of subservience and we worry about pleasing everyone else even though no one's pleasing us and then we end up feeling taken advantage of because really, no one is looking out for us. Not even us. I want to talk a little bit now about the cycle of how a bitch is made. I'm just going to briefly touch upon it in this episode, but if you'd like to hear about it more in depth, I encourage you to listen to our introductory mini-sode, which breaks the cycle down pretty intricately. But the cycle goes like this. Step one, you take shit, aka the doormat phase. Step two, you get fed up with shit. Step three, you regurgitate shit. And step four, you become the shit. So... I was really in step one when I was dating Billy, and that's really what we're going to talk about today because it's so important. This is a vital stage. It's the most common stage that women find themselves in because of how we were raised. Nowadays, we're fighting for equality, and that fight is so hard, not just because the odds are stacked against us socially and historically, but because we've never been given the tools to effectively cultivate the life that we want to have for ourselves. Even if you're a career person like me, it's hard to reprogram your brain from the traditional way of thinking that was passed down to us from our mothers, who were raised by their mothers in an even more traditional way, and instill these traditional gender roles upon us. That's why so many of us get stuck in that first step of the cycle. We either don't have the awareness to realize that we're in it, or we don't know how to fucking get out. We are so focused on pleasing everyone else that we don't take the time to consider what might work better for us or be in our best interest. Another interesting thing to think about is the difference in how boys and girls are raised. So boys are raised and encouraged to go out and find themselves in the world, right? Find their purpose, find their path, create their destiny. Movies are made and targeted at men with that specific message. That's It's all about their journey. Whereas women are encouraged to find a partner. All of our movies are targeted and aimed at that. Of course, that's changing a bit now, which is really exciting. But again, our mentality, the way that we've been raised is so ingrained in us. We've got to rework that in order to kind of take advantage of the times now. We got to make it a priority to go out and find out who we are, not who we think we're supposed to be, not who we think everyone else wants us to be, but who we truly are, what we want. That can be a really overwhelming task right? It's a big undertaking. It's scary confronting ourselves. And a lot of times we just don't even know where to start. A common way that most girls, I think, subconsciously try to figure out who they are is through dating. They'll date these guys, right? And they'll start doing what I call girlfriend contouring. So 
you'll date a surfer, let's say, and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, maybe I'm a surfer girl. And you start buying Bumble and Bumble sea salt spray and wearing it in your hair and shopping exclusively at Hollister, wearing rainbow sandals and puka shells. And then all of a sudden you realize, I'm not a fucking surfer girl. I fucking hate the beach. So then you date the rocker guy and you stop showering and you cut your hair really short and dye it dark and wear dark eye makeup and exclusively wear My Chemical Romance concert tees. I may be describing a very specific personal experience, but then you realize I'm not really that emo chick either. You're basically shaping yourself into the mold that you think this guy wants you to fit in. If he's a surfer, I must be a surfer. It doesn't even dawn on you that that didn't even factor into his attraction to you in the first place, right? But I also think it is fueled by this craving we have to figure out who we are. And these guys, based on their journey and experiences actually present that experience and opportunity for us. It's captivating. It's exciting. Where they've been, what they've seen, what we can learn from it by living vicariously through them. That is one way of trying to find yourself. It's not the way that I would encourage to go about it, but it's certainly the way we tend to. A lot of times we also date person after person after person because women are so afraid of being alone. That's the ultimate sign of failure, right? That we're just die alone. I noticed that between my female friends and my male friends, primarily, not exclusively, but primarily, the girls would go from relationship to relationship, whereas the guys would take big breaks in between because they wanted to be alone and, you know, recalibrate and figure out who they were and get their shit together. That's my favorite thing when guys say that. Um, is there shit ever together? No. Anyway, uh, that sounded very bitter and jaded, but that's not how I meant it. I just, no one ever really has their shit together. Like, that's the journey of life. We're constantly trying to figure it out. But girls rarely take that time in between relationships to do their own self-work. It's too scary. We don't want to sit alone with our feelings and the discomfort of where we're at in life and what him leaving us means. It's just, it's too confronting. So we avoid it by slapping a Band-Aid on the wound in the form of a fleshy penis. But here is why that alone time is so important. If you take the time to figure out who you are, then you'll start to realize what you want. And then you'll start to understand how to get what you want because you'll start to implement standards and boundaries. Boundaries are your best friend. They are the thing that we've never been taught to have, and they are the thing that we need to get out of that first step of the cycle of how a bitch is made. We go from step one to step two. Step two is where we get fed up with shit. This is where I was with Billy. Things were not working out the way I wanted them to. I knew something needed to change. So the first thing that I did was (laughs) I ended up reading this book called Why Men Love Bitches. Again, aimed at how to get a man, but it was effective because I read it and I learned something that would change my life forever and I hope now changes yours. It gave me the permission to be a bitch by introducing me to the idea of standards and boundaries. When I realized that a bitch was just a self-respecting woman who held people accountable because she had standards and boundaries, I was like, oh, yes, that's who I want to be. And you know what else I wanted? I wanted more than anything to be the girl that guys came back to. I so badly wanted that moment 
wanted Billy to come back to me at some point and be like, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. You were the best thing that ever happened to me. Please take me back. And I wanted that opportunity to look him in the eye and be confident and self-respecting and self-assured enough to say no. I wanted that so badly. I thought it would feel so powerful and empowering. And I was really after that feeling. So then I started creating this archetype of what that woman looked like. How she dressed, how she spoke, how she acted, how she conducted herself in public, how she conducted herself in the bedroom, in relationships with her family, with her friends, how she went about her day-to-day life, how she handled things that popped up unexpectedly. And then I made it my mission to become her. The first step of becoming her was creating standards and boundaries, implementing them and enforcing them. So what do standards and boundaries look like? Well, this little piece of paper that I'm holding did not exist at the time I was going through this with Billy. This piece of paper was actually handed to me by my therapist about a year ago, and it has been the most beneficial, effective, and helpful, valuable tool I've ever gotten. It is a sheet of boundary violations, signs of damaged boundaries, and signs of unhealthy boundaries. I want to share with you a few of them because I think they're very helpful, but I am going to post these on howbitchesaremade.com because it's an extensive list, and I'd love for you to be able to see the whole thing in its entirety and really examine it and think about how it applies to you. So each category here has a different column, internal, physical, and sexual. So I'm going to read a couple from each. So as far as boundary violations in the internal, shaming, humiliating, ridiculing, belittling, name-calling, lying, deceiving, betraying, sarcasm, passive-aggressive behavior. Physical, deprivation of food, sleep, and hygiene, invading another person's personal space, reading other people's mail, email, voicemail, phones, text, diary, journals, Ding, ding, ding. It was very clear to me reading this sheet that I had boundary violations and so did Billy. One thing I do want to point out about the story really quickly is I did go through his phone, yes. And it was the only time to this day I have ever done that. And the reason that I did it is because I knew he was being deceitful and I needed the proof to know I wasn't crazy. I know a lot of you listening that have done the same thing can say that's exactly why you did it. But here's what I'm going to say. It's not okay to do it. The fact that you're having that thought is all the validation you need to know that something's off. You don't need to see the physical evidence to know that it exists, at least enough to make the decision to walk away because there's a trust issue, and that is the truth. An example of sexual boundary violations, insisting on having sex your way, demanding unsafe sexual practices, Sexual touching without permission, staring or looking lustfully, sexual jokes or innuendo, comments about other people's body, attire, or appearance. Some signs of damaged boundaries for internal are allowing others to define you or your reality, answering for another person, needing to explain your decisions or behavior, accepting blame for another person's feelings, physical signs of damaged boundaries, inability to say no to physical contact. Allowing someone to stand in your personal space. Touching someone without permission. Sexual signs of damaged boundaries. Inability to say no to sexual engagement. Needing to explain your behavior. Participating in unsafe sex. Signs of unhealthy boundaries. Telling all, 
talking and disclosing at an intimate level upon first meeting someone new, falling in love with a new acquaintance, falling in love with anyone who reaches out or is kind, being overwhelmed, preoccupied with thoughts of another person, unaware, in denial when others invade or violate your boundaries, not noticing when someone is being inappropriate and boundaryless, unable to set and maintain healthy boundaries and consequences, allowing others to take as much as they can from you. I don't know about you guys, but to me, this sounds like a whole lot of being in step one of the cycle. Once we're clear on our problem, we can start thinking about effective solutions. Prior to Billy, I didn't know who I was or what I really wanted. But after him, I was very clear that I wanted to be a bitch. I thought a lot about what a bitch looked like, how she operated, and eventually came up with this archetype that I've been on a journey to become ever since. But here's the thing. How do we change other people's perspectives to see this woman the same way we do? Next week, we're going to discuss the many different definitions of the word bitch and the different perspectives of what it means to be one and take an extensive look at all the perceptions and misconceptions surrounding it. That's it for our first episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening and joining me on this journey, and I hope that you continue to. I hope that you like this podcast. If you do, please like and subscribe it, and be sure to share with other fellow bitches you think would like it too. You can always stay up to date by visiting howbitchesaremade.com. I'm going to have transcripts of every episode with the stories, as well as articles or tools or videos etc that we reference in each episode you can also join the community please be a part of the community and give feedback i love hearing your stories i love getting questions definitely reach out i want to hear from you you'll also be able to read blogs that don't make it to the podcast so be sure to check those out as well you can also follow us on instagram and facebook at how bitches are made and on twitter they don't like the word bitch so our handle there is at habam tweets h-b-a-m tweets if you would like to follow me personally you can follow me at the rachel melvin across all platforms thank you guys so much for joining us and be sure to come back next week for an all-new episode How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin.